Hi, my name's Paul Grogan. Welcome to episode 27 of the All New Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is the audio version of the live Q&A that went out at the end of August 2022. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making these podcasts possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, welcome to this month's live Q&A. Let me know in the chat if you can hear me and you can see me okay. And hopefully the chat is going to start appearing on the right-hand side. Um, been having a couple of issues with the chat. Nope, it's working. There you go. Right. So the format of this month's live Q&A is same as always. I'm going to spend the first sort of 40 minutes or so going through all of the questions which I've been asked in advance. And then we're going to go over to the live questions. So for those of you watching this for the first time, I have a guild over on Board Game Geek, guild number 2258. And a few days before these live Q&As, I always post there uh, and ask for questions in advance. That's mainly for the people who can't make it to the live show. So they get the opportunity to ask me questions in advance. And I'm going to spend the first half of today's show going through all of those questions. And then we're going to go to the questions that you're asking me live. If you have any questions, uh, then if you just put the word question in capital letters first, Vicky will spot that and transfer them into the document and we'll get to them later on. Uh, we'll talk about the giveaway contest and we'll talk about some other stuff as well. So let's crack on um, with the questions. Where's my document? It's here. Right. First question is from Brian, uh, which are related to the heat wave that we've been having in the UK, um, uh, which we had between the last Q&A and this one, I think, when it got really bad. I, it's, there's a lot been happening. Um, so I've kind of lost track of time a little bit. Um, but Brian is asking, did the heatwave impact on my gaming or my work? Yes and no. So uh, we didn't we didn't actually cancel anything because of the heatwave, but there were certainly a few days and a few evenings where I was live streaming where it was unbearable. We did buy a portable air conditioning unit, but we, we sent that back um, because it really didn't do very much at all. Um, yeah, so it was it was a very unpleasant time. It's a little bit tricky. Uh, I've got the window open now. I don't know if you can hear uh, the background noise, but we are quite near a motorway and it is very loud. So having the window open, which which I have now, makes it a little bit bearable. But of course, when I'm doing a sponsored playthrough video, I can't really have the window open. So we have the window closed. And with the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, near, with the 10 lights that I've got in here and all of the cameras and the computer, the amount of heat that is output not counting the three people or three or four people that's in here, it was very unbearable. Uh, did I have to put my Jaffa cakes in the fridge to stop them melting? I didn't, but that's a very good idea because uh, a nice Jaffa cakes with a nice cool tint to it would be nice. Did we, did we try any biscuit related ice creams to help cool down? For example, Biscoff ice cream, still not tried that. Apparently there's a Biscoff ice cream lolly or a Twix ice cream bar. No, I've been cutting down on the amount of creamy snacks and ice cream, but I did drink lots and lots of water. Um, we got a new fridge freezer a few months ago and it's got an ice making compartment and we didn't think we'd use it that often, but we use it all the time, almost every day. Um, I'm not really a big fan of having ice in water. Um, normally just have it at room temperature, but since we got the ice maker, we found that just a little bit of ice in water actually makes it more refreshing. Also, I did that whole ice cold water around the towel around the neck Obviously not when I was doing a video, but when I was working in here, uh, I did that. 
what why do I think there has never been a Jaffa cake ice cream? Well, has there? I thought there had. Vicky's making little little balls. I, I'm not sure. I got a vague memory. If anybody knows in the chat if there's ever been a Jaffa cake ice cream, I've got a vague memory that there has been one. But if there hasn't, just get normal vanilla ice cream uh, and scrunch a, a Jaffa cake over it. There you go, Jaffa cake ice cream. Right. Uh, Gavin is asking, do I think that British games designers are developing their own design style or simply adopting the modern Euro design? Um, and he says, he knows this question might not be an easy one for me to answer for several reasons. I'm don't, not sure of those reasons. Um, it really depends on the designer. So I, I know a lot of UK designers. Uh, you've got Richard Breeze, you've got Tony Boydell, you've got Alan Paul. Oh, Jaffa Cake Ice Cream from Tesco. There you go. Um, yeah, Richard Breeze, Tony Boydell, Alan Paul, Brett Gilbert, Mike Nudd. Um, there's a, there's a whole host of, of UK based designers. And to be honest, they're all very, very different in what they do. Some of them, um, will adopt the sort of standard Euro game approach and be, be doing some of those. But, um, you know, Alan Paul, for example, Alan's been a gamer for a very long time. Alan's worked on the new Kingmaker version, which is a very old school style, style of game. Uh, and Alan does a lot of war gamey stuff in the background. So I think it really depends on the designer. Uh, and even then the designer is able to, be flexible with with what they do so yeah i don't think they're developing their own specific design style uh morton wants to know he says he's been playing a lot of cloud spire recently when will we be seeing me revisiting this game and showcasing a couple of the co-op scenarios so cloud spire for those people who don't know was my number one game of the year that it came out which was either 2019 or 2020 i've completely lost track of time um and it is very very high if not number one on the games which I wish I more, had more time to cover. Because I absolutely love Cloud Spire. It does require a huge investment of time and effort to learn it. The games are not short. Uh, it's a normal chip theory games game. It's very, very long. Um, and he said, if the thought of relearning the game in preparation for the stream is too much, maybe have a guest, for example, Ricky Royal, tackle the rules and I just play the game. Um, there's actually some local players. Uh, certainly JP from the Whose who's Turn Is It Anyway podcast. Uh, I know he's been playing it recently as well. So there are local players who are interested in playing the game. And yeah, I will definitely get them involved when I eventually get time to revisit the game. Next question from Radek. Uh, what do I think of the On Mars expansion? Have I played all of the chapters? Uh, is falling in love with the game and Alien Invasions is just a matter of time when it will be on the table. So I'm glad you're enjoying the expansion. I actually spoke a little bit last week, I think, on my Patreon supporters Slack channel about games that don't need expansions. And I've always said that Vital Lacerda's games, generally speaking, they're so heavy and complex as they are, they don't need any expansions. Maybe a little module to add on, but certainly not expansions. Excuse me, in the in the way we normally view expansions for board games. However, the On Mars expansion is an exception to that because what the On Mars expansion does is it gives you four modules and it gives you the ability to play the game in different ways. Uh, one of them is a one versus many mode, one of them is a pure co-op mode, one of them is a solo mode, etc, etc. And I think that's actually a really good idea because with the expansion for On Mars, it builds on the base game. Uh, you need the base game to play it but it allows you to sort of take the base game and say, oh, let's play this game, but with, with a twist. So um, I've only played the one versus many mode, which I have live streamed. I did at the time when the Kickstarter was live. I've not tried the others. I don't actually have a copy of the On Mars expansion. I think 
uh, I don't know. I've, have backers got their copies? Um, I think maybe Eagle Griffin uh, have forgotten to send me a copy of the expansion. I, I was due to get one, um, but I, I, I don't actually have a copy, a, f a final copy of the expansion. Um, next question is about Bolt Factory, another Vital Lacerda game. Have I played it? Yes, I've played it and I've done a stream um, of playing it. How does it compare to Kanban EV? So Bolt Factory, um, which I believe the pledge manager is going live fairly soon, Bolt Factory is a much, much lighter version of Kanban EV. In fact, no, it's not really. It's got some design elements the same as Kanban EV, but it's his it's own game. Um, I really liked it when I played it. The first thing is, um, Vittel has already done a light filler game, um, well, co-designed it, um, called Mercado de Lisboa. Now, that is a thinky filler, which has got, like, two pages of rules and plays in about 25-30 minutes. It's a thinky filler. Bot Factory is not a thinky filler. It is a light to medium board game that takes about an hour and a quarter to play um so yeah if you're expecting a 20 minute game it's not a 20 minute game and it's not a two-page rule book but it's a solid game and if you want something well lighter than any of vittel's other games then bot factory I, I really liked it what's my opinion on eating and drinking while playing um radek says that he's quite radical and the drinks are always off the table as are any snacks i've got friends who have those um requirements as well but me it's not something that's ever really bothered me. I mean, it would bother me if somebody knocked a glass over and it went all over my nice, lovely game, but it's not really happened to me, so I, I'm not really that bothered about that. Um, obviously, if people are eating greasy food like crisps and everything else, I would hope that they would wipe their hands on something before handling the cards. Uh, final question from Radek. Mind Clash Games recently announced that they will present their latest game on September 1st, which is tomorrow. Um, and he's wondering, am I related to this project? So I contacted Mind Clash Games yesterday when I saw this question, uh, and they haven't got back to me. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the project is um, to see whether I'm going to be involved in it or not. We'll find out. Next question uh, from Matthew. Any new games this year that have a chance to climb up into my top 10 of all time? And I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of my patron supporters on the Slack channel because I asked that question on my Slack channel this afternoon, but I slightly reworded it. Rather than any new games this year, I've reworded your question to any new games recently, like in the last 12 months, which might climb into my top 10 of all time. And a lot of my patron supporters threw lots of game names at me this afternoon of games which I've played, covered on the channel and enjoyed, um, but out of all of those, the only one, possibly two, that I can see making into my top ten of all time, uh, Carnegie, or Carnegie, uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I think that's a very, very solid game, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and I couldn't find fault with the game. I thought the graphic design was good, I thought the rulebook was good, I thought the solo mode was good, I thought the gameplay was fantastic. I have, I, I only have the base version of the game, and I've heard that the, the, the extra deluxe version of the game, with all of the extra buildings, some of those might be a little bit imbalanced. I'm not sure. I haven't played it. Um, but yeah, Carnegie, very, very good. Uh, my favourite games of last year were Bitoku, Ark Nova, Imperial Steam. Whether any of those will make it into my top 10 of all time, not that I actually have a top 10 of all time. I kind of, I kind of do and I kind of don't. Um, Bitoku is probably my favourite game of last year, then maybe Imperial Steam, then again Ark Nova. All very, very good games. I'm not sure whether any of them would make it into my top 10. I really should do a top, a top 10 at some point. Right, next question 
do uh, oh, this is from uh, Keith. What's the oldest board game in my house? Very good question, Keith. So, not counting chess, backgammon, poker, and things like that, there are some games in the attic, which, and I went up into the attic just for you, Keith, and I had a look through, and the couple of ones which I found, which I think, I think are the oldest, I have a copy of God's Fire, which is from 1980, but I also have a copy of Valley, uh, sorry, God's Fire was 1976, uh, and Valley of the Four Winds is 1980, or the other way around. I, I, they're the two games that which I think are the oldest games which I've got in the attic. Um, so yeah, have you played any of them? If you've played God's Fire or Valley of the Four Winds, let me know. If you haven't heard of them, go and look them up on BGG. They are very old games. Keith also wants to know if people in Columpton play games. Um, other than me, not many, because I've scared them all off. Um, there are fewer people in Columpton playing games now than there were a few years ago. So Rick, who's been on the channel a number of times, Rick's left Columpton. Uh, he's moved to Tiverton. Um, Mark, who's been on the channel a couple of times, Mark used to live in Columpton, but has now moved to Cranbrook. There are a couple of other people. Emily, who's been on the uh, stream a number of times, she lives around the corner. Um, Ian, who I've not seen for a while, he lives in Columpton. Uh, Becky, who's somebody who Vicky works with. Uh, it turns out that she plays board games as well. So that's three. There might be more. If there's more, uh, then, then, then I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's not many. Columpton's a small place. Right, next question from Nigel. Nigel says... He has heard that Chip Theory Games will be sending me and other content creators uh, a sword in celebration of the release of Hoplomarca's Victorum. Have I already decided which of my foes I will be smiting first? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and that's the reason for the picture in the background. There's been a lot of, um, uh, you know, internet stuff on various Facebook forums and Twitter over the last 24 hours uh, because Chip Theory Games are a kind of company that likes to do cool stuff. And as a bit of a surprise, they've had loads and loads of personalized swords made and they've sent them out to a number of content creators. Um, I've heard about this from other people. A lot of the American content creators have had their swords. I haven't yet. Um, me, Ricky Royal, uh, and Mark Dainty, we, we've, we're, we're the UK ones that have been sent them. There might be some other UK people that have been sent them. I don't know. They're the three that I know about. Um, and it's a, it's a very nice gesture. And Chip Theory Games is the kind of company that likes doing cool stuff with that. But of course, there's a little bit of backlash. Some people are jealous about it. Some people think that it's a form of bribery, etc., etc. It's a whole load of stuff um, going on. But no, I, I haven't decided which of my foes I'm going to be smiting. I don't even know where, where I'm going to put the sword. It'll probably go hanging on a wall. So it could go up there. Yeah, could go up there. Um, but yeah, Hoplomarcus Victorum, I'm very much looking forward to that arriving, and it should be arriving sometime this year. Uh, next question from Brendan. Um, Brendan in his house has made the big step of adding some furry friends to their family, uh, and he wants us to give an update on Thor and Loki. Thor and Loki are fine. Thor and Loki are, are healthy. They're both as the usual, the, the, the naughtiness uh, and things like that now and again, but, you know, they're, they're healthy, they're fine, they're both good cats. Thor was out very, very late last night, didn't come in till about 11 o'clock, um, and Loki's his usual naughty self around around the house most of the day, um, squealing at us whenever he wants food, basically. But no, they're, 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 they're doing all right. They're doing all right. Right, next question is a good one from Dan. And I'll tell you now, Dan, I think this question is a good one 
that uh, I'm going to post it onto the BGG guild. So for those of you who don't know, I have a guild over on Board Game Geek. Uh, it is guild number 2258. Vicky's going to put a link to it in the chat right now. If you're not a member of the guild, please go and join up to the guild. Don't just join, but click on the subscribe button. If you click on the subscribe button, if you don't click on the subscribe button, you won't see anything. And it, yeah, um, but if you click on the subscribe button, you'll get notifications about whenever I post anything to it. I post something to it maybe once or twice a month. So don't worry, you're not going to get bombarded with messages. Um, but Dan's question, I think, is a very good one for the guild. So this is about people who play Hanabi specifically, but I think the question is uh, valid for any other similar type of games. But Dan says that, that there's been a meta game that's developed where people who are playing the game seriously expect you to know certain conventions such as bridge. These conventions are not based in logical deduction and only work because everybody around the table knows the conventions. So for example, uh, if you tell somebody the number of a card, then you should play it. But if you tell them the colour, you shouldn't. Dan says he's a bit light on the details, um, but you get the idea where a group of people have these ways of essentially breaking outside of the rules of the game in order to play it at a more competitive level. And Dan's got two, two things that he's asking me about. First of all, is this absolutely awesome that a group of people take the game to the next level? Or is it completely missing the spirit of the game um, where all of the information should be deductible logically based on the information given? Me, it really depends how you're going. If you're, if as you're describing it, a group of people say, look, I'll tell you what, let's play Hanabi, but if I point to a card while I'm looking up to the left and scratching my nose, that means I want you to play it. That's that's cheating, right? That That is totally breaking the spirit of the game. But where where do you draw the line? Because there is an there's an element to these games like Hanabi, like the crew, where the more you play the game with the same people, you will develop this sort of extra layer of knowledge. And that's really cool as long as it stays within the, the spirit of the game. That's my opinion anyway. Right, next question from Kenneth. Now that I've tried Dune Imperium, yes, I finally, finally, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what, Paul's only just played Dune Imperium? Yes, I have finally played Dune Imperium a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, thank you very much to Tyler for giving up his time to, to teach me how to play the game. Um, I played a game over Tabletop Simulator. Uh, what are my thoughts on the game compared to Lost Ruins of Arnak and Endless Winter? Now, if you don't understand this question, Dune Imperium... Lost Ruins of Arnak and Endless Winter are all games which combine deck building and worker placement. I have played Lost Ruins of Arnak a lot, right? Probably 30, 40 times. Uh, and I was one of the developers of the game. I did a bit of playtesting on it. Endless Winter, I've played that game probably about 20 times. Dune Imperium, I've now only played once. There are definite similarities uh, between the three of them in certain areas. But for me, they stand on their own. Uh, as separate games. Now, I've only played Dune Imperium once and I very, very much enjoyed it. Um, Lost Ruins of Arnak is probably my favourite one, but I need to play Dune Imperium first. Endless Winter is uh, more complex than the other two, in my opinion. I'm not saying it's too complex. I'm just saying it is a step up. There's a lot more going on in Endless Winter. Um, a full teach of Endless Winter is longer than a full teach of Lost Ruins of Arnak and Dune Imperium. So yeah, I've played all three now, which is really good. Um, and I've also contacted Direwolf Digital um, over two different ways of messaging them. 
to see if they would be happy to send me a copy for the GridCon library. But it's hard to get hold of Direwolf Digital. Um, I'm not getting any replies from them. So if you know any way of getting hold of Direwolf Digital, please let me know. Um, Kenneth is also saying, speaking of Patreon, uh, will I be doing the head-to-head -head matchup of every single game in my collection? Yes. So just to be clear, I had a Patreon stretch goal last year that I was aiming to try and get to 800 supporters. And this is because uh, at the end of last year, I officially announced that I was retiring <laughs> uh, from rulebook work. Now, rulebook editing and rulebook writing was at least 50% of my income. Um, and I decided for various reasons near the end of last year that I'm, I'm, I'm basically stopping doing that. Uh, and as such, I did a bit of a Patreon drive to try and get to 800 patron supporters. Uh, and we did we did that. We succeed <clears throat> we succeeded in getting to eight hundred Patreon supporters uh, at the end of last year. Uh, and part of the goals of getting to eight hundred is that I am going to rate every single game in my collection. Not rate them, but I'm going to basically the idea I had was that I'm going to do some kind of head to head 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 to head battle between two random games from my collection. Winner moves on to round two. I'm still planning to do that. I don't quite know when I'm going to be able to do that. Um, but also Patreon support over the last, well, it's actually dropped. We are now in August and uh, Patreon support has actually been dropping for the last four or five months. Uh, we are still over 800, so I'm, st I'm still going to do it. But yeah, Patreon support has been on a steady decline for the last uh, last few months. And this month's been, been no exception. So yeah, that is on the list to do. Um, and I'm still not sure exactly how I'm going to do it because somebody recommended that I use Pub Meeple. But if you use Pub Meeple, um, it basically gives you two of your games from your collection and says, which one do you want? Which is exactly what I want. But Pub Meeple does, does it more than once. So if I've got 800 games in my collection, I think Pub Meeple will end up asking me 3,000 questions. Whereas if I do it, you know, uh, if I've got 800 games in my co collection, then it's going to be basically round one is 400 matches. Round two is 200 then 100, then 50, then 25, etc, etc. And it'll be about 800 in total. Whereas the Pub Meeple one was coming out that it was going to be about 3,000 comparisons. It's more accurate, but I was going to do this as a live stream and I'm not sure I have time for, for 3,000. But if anybody's got any suggestions about how I do this, how I basically put my entire collection against each other to, to come up with which ones I prefer, I'm going to do it just for fun, really. Um, then Then please let me know. Right. Miguel is saying, have I got any games from 2BC that I would like to revisit? And when he says 2BC, he means before Catan. Um, so Catan came out in 95. I do have board games in my collection, as I mentioned earlier on, from pre-1995. But to be honest, there is not many of them that I think still hold up today. Um, a lot of the games which I have and I, I've played then, and I loved then, I'm not sure they would hold up now. I mean, there are certain games like Civilization, um, 1830. I mean, 1830 still holds up. I'm just not the biggest fan. Um, what am I thinking? Axes and Allies, things like that. But there's lots and lots of other games, like the early games workshop games that, that I've got in the attic, um, you know, Warrior Knights, Battle Cars, all of those sorts of games. I, I just don't, enjoy playing those kind of games anymore. There is one game which I've got, which is Age of Exploration, which I, I do want to cover on the channel at some point as a bit of an exception. Um, but yeah, the, the honest answer is there's very, very few games in my collection, if any, 
that I would think, oh yeah, that'll be a good one to play again when I've got easily a hundred other games that I want to play that are really good games. So yeah, good question, but I'm not sure there are many. Next question from Henning. Uh, Henning says he's played Paladin's Oath recently. So Paladin's Oath is a digital game. It's on Steam and it's basically a digital ad adaptation of Mage Knight, but it's not called Mage Knight because it's not official, but it is essentially Mage Knight. Um, and he's asking me what I think about the Mage Knight rulebook and why wasn't it reworked in the Ultimate Edition. So the rulebook for the Ultimate Edition was reworked a little bit because um, it's one of my friends who actually did that reworking. But the only reworking that was done was basically to combine all of the rules from all of the expansions into the rulebook and replace the rules that changed from the base game to Lost Legion. So there was some reworking, but I know what you're saying. Uh, the Mage Knight rulebook does get a lot of criticism. I personally found it good. I personally found it okay. The fact that you've got the walkthrough booklet and then the separate rulebook. The biggest problem people have with it is the rulebook is literally just a bullet point, point list of the rules. You can't learn how to play by reading the rulebook. We sound silly, I know, but the, the, the front of the walkthrough booklet says, read this first. This is what you will use to learn how to play the game. And the rulebook is kind of like the reference manual. So I thought it worked really well. Um, how would I improve it? Well, if you're telling me, Paul, you need to improve this and you're giving me unlimited time and unlimited budget, then what I would do is I would rewrite the rulebook, which as I say, is more of a rules reference. And I would rewrite it into being a full rulebook that you could learn how to play the game from. But that would mean really just copying and pasting a lot of stuff from the walkthrough over. But that's, that's what I would do. Uh, I just don't whether it's worth it. Next question, have I played Star Trek Frontiers? Could we see a playthrough of it so we can compare with Mage Knight? Um, so I haven't played Star Trek Frontiers. I have looked at the rulebook for Star Trek Frontiers and I have spoken to other people and it is highly unlikely that you're going to see a playthrough of on the channel because personally, why would I play Star Trek Frontiers when Mage Knight exists? I'm, I'm one of those people that doesn't like the idea of Star Trek Frontiers. For me, the theme doesn't fit. In Mage Knight, the theme fits perfectly because the Mage Knight is this oddity. Nobody really understands them. They're sometimes doing good things. They're sometimes doing bad things. Uh, they're going around, they're hiring mercenaries to fight with them. That doesn't fit for me in the Star Trek universe. You can't, you shouldn't really have a Federation ship commanded by Captain Kirk with a Vulcan, a Romulan, you know, all, all of these different species on the ship who are enemies of each other at the time and then going around and blowing up planets to get artifacts, right? That just doesn't fit. So for me, Star Trek Frontiers doesn't fit thematically. Uh, and because it's so similar to Mage Knight, I'll just play Mage Knight instead. And I'm saying that as a Star Trek fan. Um, and what do I think were the reasons behind Direwolf Digital stopping the digital adaptation of Mage Knight? I don't know for sure. My only guess is it ended up being too complex. And I know more complex games than Mage Knight, have been done in digitally maybe i don't know i mean through the ages but through the ages took uh, the cge team of people including vladger about four years to work on right there's a massive massive that's like four or five people working for four years on the through the ages digital version that's a huge amount of time and effort and i don't think direwolf digital had the resources again that's just my guess uh last question how are we doing for time 
Oh, it's only been half an hour. We're doing all right. Uh, last question, not last question for today. The last question from the ones that I've been asked in advance is from Peter. Which aspects of a game do I feel is often thematically not well represented in a game? And this is another question, Peter, that I think we're going to put on the guild. So the question is from Peter. And again, if, you, if you've got something to say on this, head on over to the guild later on tonight, because this question is going to appear on the guild so that we can all contribute to it. Which aspects of a game do you feel is often thematically not well represented in a game? Now, he gives an example. Um, Peter is saying that for him, he feels that in games with combat, the combat mechanism is often too shallow and doesn't quite fit the theme as much as he would like. So I'm guessing from that, he's talking about games where you just maybe roll a bunch of dice or you draw a card. So for example, you're going into a fight and you're fighting the, the goblin and you've got a knight and you've got your sword and you roll a bunch of dice and you add up the numbers and you're trying to get higher than their number. And if you do, you deal damage. Maybe that's that's what he means. Now, I don't think any game system is going to accurately represent combat, whether it be one-on-one -on -one combat or whether it be, you know, company level combat or even army level combat. Ultimately, the games have to abstract the combat at some point. I mean, if, you know, a game that I mentioned earlier on, Civilization, Avalon Hill Civilization, um, used to be what, wait, what used to be my number one game of all time. 20 odd years ago, um, and I still respect the game as being absolutely fantastic, designed by Francis Tresham, groundbreaking. But in that, you basically have counters. And if you've got four counters and I've got two counters, then there are six counters in a country or an area. And if the population limit of that area is only three, then we're going to have a fight. And what happens is whoever has the fewest tokens in the area, which is me, I lose one first. Have we reached the population limit? No. So now you lose one. Have we reached the population limit? No. I lose one. Have we reached the population limit? Yes. And that's it. So it's basically two stacks of counters. Whichever one is the lowest stack, they lose one first and it alternates until you reach the population level. Very, very abstracted, but represents the conflict that happens perfectly well. So uh, yeah, it is a good question. And as I say, it is a question that we need to put on the guild for other people and not just combat. If you've got any of your ideas or thoughts about, um, you know, any any game mechanisms which you feel have been abstracted too much and you would like to see in a bit more detail, then then, yeah, let me know. Right. OK. Let's move on to the live questions. So thank you very much. Um, first question is from Board Games Unwrapped. Did I get a sword? The, the sword hasn't arrived yet. I suspect it's going through customs. Um, um, now, Chip Theory Games sent these swords to us and they didn't tell us. So we now know we're getting these swords, but I think the idea was that it's supposed to be a surprise. They didn't, they didn't tell me about it. They haven't contacted me about it. I only found out through other people spotting it on social media. Um, so I presume that they've looked into it about how you can get a sword through customs in the UK. We will see. We, we will find out. Um, yeah. Uh, Wei Jen is asking, um, eat my favourite food every day for the rest of your life or never ever get to eat it again. Eat my favourite food every day for the rest of my life or never get to eat it again. Well, it would be to eat it every day of my life. Why wouldn't it be? Oh, you mean eat that and nothing else? Oh. If you're saying that I can only eat my favourite food and nothing else, I would have to go with uh, never get to eat it again. And the reason for that is I have lots of favourites. 
So this is an easy thing for me to say is that I, I don't think I've got a particular favorite. And like if we pick one of my favorites, for example, chili con carne with sour cream, nachos, rice, love it. With some bits in like, what, what is it we put in it? What is it we put on? No, there's some bits that we put on top of the chili or in the chili. I don't know. Anyway, right. So chili con carne, one of my favorite dishes, love eating it could eat it every day if I wanted to and if you're saying I can't have that again it's like right okay I won't have that again but I'll have lasagna or I'll have fajitas or something else I've got I've got lots and lots of favorite food um so yeah that's an easy one. Oh yeah competition let's let's talk about the competition I was going to talk about that wasn't I at the at the interval right so uh we talked about the Patreon campaign earlier on and one of the other things that I decided to do once I reached 800 patron supporters which as I say we we did reach and we are just about keeping above 800 patron supporters is that I was going to increase the amount of um, uh, money effectively that you can win from watching this live Q&A it used to be £25 a month Thor's just come in it's early for him um, hi Thor so yeah, we've increased it to £50 a month. So every month as part of these live Q&As, I do a giveaway contest where you can win £50 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. The winner last month was Dave Martin. So congratulations, Dave. Uh, I've sent you an email uh, and included Games Law in that email. So you should be contacted hopefully soon about how to redeem your £50 worth of games vouchers. Um, and if you're watching this video, you can be in with a chance of winning £50 worth of games vouchers this month. The contest runs from now until the next Q&A, which is basically the end of September. Yeah, the last Wednesday in September will be the next live Q&A. So even if you're not watching this live, you can still enter the contest as long as it's before the end of September. Uh, and all you need to do is click on the link, which Vicky's going to put in the chat, which she can't put in the chat because there's a cat in the way. Maybe, Thor, can you just press Control C, Control, yeah. Anyway. The link's going to appear in the chat right now. I'll also put it in the description of the video. Uh, and all you need to do is fill in the details, put in your name, put in your email address. The secret word is going to be Gladius, Roman sword. Um, and if you're a patron supporter, please let me know because patron supporters get extra entries. So you don't have to be a patron supporter to win the contest. In fact, a couple of months ago, Graham Rawlings won the contest uh, and he's not a patron supporter. But patron supporters do get extra entries um, because I, I basically want to say thank you. Um, this video and a lot of the other content that I create is only made possible thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. And as I mentioned, Patreon support has been on a steady decline for the last uh, few months. And we are currently, we're currently lower than we were in January. So that that's where we are right now. Um, if you're watching this video, I know times are difficult, but if you are in a position to be able to support the channel, then you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Right, that's the contest. I've told them what the secret word is. We've posted the link. Let me know. Good luck. Right. Uh, next question. Zoktol, what is the one key advice I would give to somebody designing a board game? Uh, you need to play test with independent play testers is my biggest piece of advice. And that comes from many, many years of experience of people presenting games and only having played them with either friends who can't give um objective opinions or people who are not good playtesters now when you're playtesting a game simply giving it to a group of people and getting them to play it doesn't mean you're going to be properly playtesting your game you need to playtest your game with people 
who are going to properly playtest your game. I mean, really evaluate it, not just go, yeah, we enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Bye. And unfortunately, a lot of people I've seen playtest their games and it's not really playtesting. I mean, I could tell you stories about games with rule books where I got sent the rule book to work on and they said, this game has been in development for three years. We've playtested We've playtested this game with dozens and dozens of people. We've taken this game to conventions. We've done surveys of people who played the game and 89% of people enjoyed the game. And then they sent me the rule book. I played the game once and I completely and utterly broke the game. Like seriously broke the game. And I'm like, well, I mean, and it confused them as a publisher. They're like, well, hang on a minute, Paul, we've been playing this game for three years. And we've taken it to a convention and 90% of people liked it. And not a single person in all that time found the problem that you found in just playing it for a few hours. And initially they didn't believe me. But then when I showed them on paper and I actually proved it, they went, oh dear, our game's completely broken. So yeah, you need to play test your game and you need to play test it a lot and you need to play test it with other people. You need to be very thick skinned and you need to play test it with proper uh, proper playtesters and ideally other designers, but make sure you playtest it with people who are going to give you the feedback that you need, whether it is the feedback that you want or not. Sergio is asking, curious as a non-native speaker, sometimes I say me instead of my. Is that a local British thing? Ooh, what is it I say? I can't. Is it a northern thing? I'm trying to think of in what circumstances I might say me instead of my. So I'm going to drink my cup of tea. Oh, right. I'm going to drink my cup of tea. Yeah, it might be a northern thing. Would you, you wouldn't say I'm going to drink my cup of tea. Right, there you go. It's a northern thing. I don't say it that often, but obviously I say it enough that Sergio has spotted it. So just for you, Sergio, I'm going to drink my cup of tea. Loki's just come in as well. He's getting jealous because Thor's getting all the attention. Right. Uh, Sergio's then got the same question again. <laughs> it's all right. Um, Hilmar's in the chat. Will I introduce him to Jaffa Cakes at Gridcon? No, unfortunately, we're having a Jaffa Cake exclusion zone set up around Gridcon uh, with these sensors, very expensive sensors that we've bought from the local police department so that if there's any Jaffa Cakes that come within... No, yes, you can. Uh, but we've got to do it secretly because we're not allowed to bring our own food and drink onto site. So what we'll have to do is we'll have to sneak out to the car park and we'll have to eat some Jaffa Cakes. But yes, absolutely... In fact, if you're going to Essen, I can bring some. I can bring some to Essen. I'm surprised we didn't have any last year at Essen. Uh, next question from Frederick: Have I looked into the Explore It series, the new Choose Your Own Adventure book? Um, Clicks Madness is really good. So Explore It rings a bell. Um, I vaguely remember when I first heard about the game, and somebody will hopefully correct me if I'm wrong, but. I remember looking at it when it first came out and it looked like the kind of game that I might enjoy. But as always, there's too many games, not enough time, and I didn't get a chance to look into it. The publisher hasn't contacted me. I haven't contacted the publisher. But I think Agile John on the Slack channel has got it and has played it a few times. And I also think that I've heard that the rulebook is absolutely awful. And as soon as I heard that the rulebook was bad, that kind of put me off trying it. Um, but yeah, let me know. If, if I'm talking about the right game, I might have the wrong game here, 
but I have a memory of Agile John saying that he's got Hexplore it. Um, so yeah, so I think I did look into it at the time, but then but then moved on. So I think visually it looked like the kind of game that I was interested in. But as I say, if the rule book is bad, then I, I don't have time for that anymore. Uh, John's in the chat for my top 2021 games. What are my favorite rule books? Very good question, John. Um, so the rule book for, um, let, let's go through Bitoku, Boon Lake, Ark Nova, Imperial Steam, Trying to think what else was 2021. Imperial Steam had a very good rulebook. From what I remember, I think the Imperial Steam rulebook might be the best of them. But Boon Lake was also very good. Um, Ark Nova was okay. There was nothing majorly wrong with Ark Nova, apart from that there was a typo on page one. Um, Bitoku, the rulebook, needed some improvement. The rulebook, I mean, I was able to learn how to play the game from the rulebook of Bitoku but it was structured badly and it actually had the same thing referred to as it had fireflies and dragonflies. It, it, they changed the term of it at various points in the rulebook. So all of those rulebooks were okay, but my favorite one was probably Imperial Steam. I think the Imperial Steam rulebook was very good from what I remember. Uh, Robert is asking if he wants to play a Vital Lacerda game, but it's too di he thinks it's too difficult for him. How much more difficult is it than Tekenu? Now, Tekenu is actually quite a complex game. So definitely it's, it's more complex. I would say something like Kanban EV. But in fact, all, almost every Lacerda game, if, we, if we're not talking Bot Factory or whatever, we're talking about the big box Lacerda games. How much more difficult is it than Tekenu? I think, Robert, if you, if you can play Tekenu and if you understand Tekenu and if you know it well enough then a Lacerda game is probably the next step up for you. Now, try it, but as I always say, if you try it and you don't like it, stay where you are. There is nothing wrong with sticking at the level of Tekenu. Tekenu, for me, is a heavy game. A Lacerda game, for me, is a super heavy game. So it is a step up, but there is nothing wrong. I, I, I hate the fact that some people think the the heavier the game you play the more of a gamer you are no we're all gamers even if all you play is azul you're still a gamer right and there's nothing wrong with that and tekenu is a heavy game so yeah it, it is a bit more difficult than tekenu i would say i mean i would say watch my how to play video for kanban ev just give it a watch see what you think about it uh, and try and play it online don't go out and buy it before before trying it first um, Hilmar is asking, how big is the GridCon library? It will be about the same size as it was last year. I don't know. How many games were in the GridCon library? 150? Something like 150. It, it'll be about the same. It might be a little bit bigger. Um, we have the sheet from last year because every game that was taken out of the library uh, was marked on a sheet and we'll go through that and any game that wasn't ever taken out of the library won't be in the library this year um, because I'm going to be adding another 20 new games to it. Monica is asking, do I ever plan for a particular game to be the first you will play in a new month apart from in the channel? Ooh, do I ever plan for a particular game to be the first you will play in a new month apart from in the channel? I'm not sure what you mean, Monica. If you're still here... Could you ask me that question in a different way? Because I'm not sure I understand what the question is. And if you're not still here, 
ask me later on in Slack, and I will be happy. Uh, I will be happy to answer that. Um, yeah, because I'm not sure I fully understand it. Right, Hannah is asking. Uh, she remembers hearing that I'm going to Essen on my own. Is that right? No, that is not right. I don't know where. I think maybe what you might have heard is that I said I was going to Essen, but I didn't currently have any plans. As of last week, I now have plans. I am going to be working uh, for Cephalofair Games, demoing Frosthaven, between 9 o'clock and 2 o'clock each day. Maybe not the Sunday, because I need to go early. Um, but if you want to come and get a demo of Frosthaven, and you want me to do that demo, then I'm going to be doing a booking system. Um, keep an eye on my Board Game Geek Guild and social media. And if you're a patron supporter that's going to Essen, make sure you join the Slack Essen channel, because we're definitely going to be having a meetup on the Thursday night. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be working at the uh, Frosthaven booth, demoing Frosthaven. Um, and then I've got the afternoon to myself. So yeah, it's going to be cool. Uh, Kitty says, do I use inserts in my games? If yes, have I tried the folded space ones? What do I think of them? Uh, I do have a few folded space inserts and I have done a couple of videos on folded space inserts. So on the whole, I will be honest, I'm not a big insert fan. And the reason why, well, there's a few reasons why. The first reason is I've got a lot of games in my collection. The extra cost and time to buy an insert for the game and then the time to make it is generally I don't have the time to do that. I'm perfectly happy with Ziploc bags, okay? I have no problem with Ziploc bags. And for me, certainly, uh, and I know this isn't the case, I know I'm in the minority here, but I don't find setting up a game that much quicker with an insert. Now, there are notable exceptions. For example, if you've got a tray with all of the stuff already in there, then sure, it's much easier to take that tray out and put it on the table. But generally speaking, your standard insert, which has just got all the cubes go here, all the cubes go here, all of these go here, I, I don't find it that much quicker with an insert. The other problem that I have with inserts, generally speaking, is that I quite often will decide on what games I'm going to take to the games club. I will take them off the shelf. I will put them in the... Uh, the bag and I will take them and then I get there and I open it up and I take them out and all the stuff's gone everywhere the inserts look really nice if you keep the box absolutely flat and if you keep it horizontal but if you tip it vertically and then the box lid comes away slightly all of the stuff falls all out of the compartments and you end up in a complete mess the third reason I don't like inserts is certainly the ones where you've got a little square compartment and you're filling it with cubes i can't get my I, I i can't get my fingers in and i don't have particularly big fingers but i find that the cubes or whatever other components end up going into the bottom of the compartment and you can't get them out so i end up just having to tip the components out onto the table so yeah i'm not a big fan of inserts now that said inserts such as the ones that game trays make which have covers I'm a big fan of those. So the the games that I've got, which have um, game trays inserts, and if you don't know game trays inserts, they're like plastic moldy trays with all of the components in with a little thing that clips on the top. And then it doesn't come off. And you can carry that box. It can go sideways. It can go vertically. It can go upside down, whatever. Uh, and then you open the box and everything is there pristine. So they're the kind of inserts that I like. Um, yeah, so that that's it. And that's why... 
I'm not the kind of person that goes out and buys inserts for my games. Plus, a lot of them are very expensive, but they do look nice. Don't get me wrong, they do look nice. And I have recently got the Frosthaven organizer from uh, Laserox. Laserox have sent me the Frosthaven organizer uh, as I've folded space. So I'll be hopefully showing them on the channel at some point um, to show you what the, what they look like. And yeah, they're, they're very nicely designed. And I'm not saying that you know the inserts aren't good because there's obviously a huge market for them and lots of people like inserts, just not me particularly. Um, Monica has got another question. What's the strangest video game that I have tried? So not we're not talking digital versions of board games here. We're just talking pure video games. Nothing to do with board games at all. What is the strangest one that I've tried? Oh, I mean, I don't play that many video games. Strangest is an interesting one. I might have to get back to you on that one because I can't think offhand. There probably is, but because I've not played any in a long while... I'm not sure what the strangest one is. Is there any that we've played together that you would class as strange? Vicky's going to have a think. Thor's wailing. Have you shut him in? Okay, Thor's been shut in, so he'll be wailing away. Oh, yeah. Okay, Vicky's just reminded me about a game called... Is it 8 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes? Something like that. Somebody in the chat, tell us what this game is called. It's a game that we played this year. Maybe this year, maybe maybe last year. And it's a game called... Somebody tell us what it is. 12 minutes? 11 minutes? Anyway, it's basically you're a guy in a room. 12 minutes. Um, and you keep repeating the same 12 minutes over and over again. So it's basically like a Groundhog Day style thing. And it was absolutely the kind of game that we love because you do something and you speak to somebody and then you get killed and then you go back to the start, but you know something. So for example, in one, one particular thing, you speak to somebody and you do this and you do this and you manage to get their phone number and then you get killed. So the next time you've remembered their phone number. So what you do is as soon as you start the game again, you ring them up. And it's before they've got... And it was really clever. And it was very, very well done. But the reason I'm saying it's strange... And for those of you that have played it to the end... You will know why it's strange. It has one of the oddest twists... At the end of a computer game... That I didn't think it was a... Yeah, if you know, if you know the game... Then you'll know what I mean. But it's the kind of twist that I'm surprised they were allowed to put into a game because it was just a little bit, a little bit weird. Anyway, next question from Hilmar. Have I played Dwellings of Eldervale? He knows the answer to this because he asked me yesterday on Slack. <laughs> if so, what did I think of it? And if not, how high is it on my expectation list? So Dwellings of Eld Eldervale, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, I haven't played Dwellings of Eldervale. It does look very nice. I have to admit, it looks very, very pretty. I haven't played it, and it's, to be honest, it's unlikely that I'm ever going to play it. And the reason for that is back to the same old thing, too many games, not enough time. But I've heard very, very mixed things about Dwellings of Eldervale. I have heard mixed things ranging from Game of the Year to the worst combat system that I have ever seen in a board game ever. 
if you're watching this either live or if you're watching this back afterwards, let me know what you think about Dwellings of Eldervale. Is it a game you've enjoyed or is it a game that you've played and didn't enjoy? Because as I say, I've got friends that absolutely love it and play it all the time. And then I've got other friends who say, I played it once and it is one of the worst games that I have ever played. So I'm kind of curious to play it just to see what my thoughts on it would be because it does look very pretty, but the chances are, you know, I'm not going to get a chance to play it. And that makes me a little bit sad without going off on a big tangent about how sad my life is because I get to play a lot of games. It's the fact that 20 years ago or 15 years ago, if Dwellings of Eldervale had come out, I would have probably got a copy and I would have played it half a dozen times. But right now, I'm just totally overwhelmed by the amount of games coming out. I've got pretty much the rest of this year planned and I haven't even factored in any time to play most of the new Essen releases. And then I find out that Hoplomarchus Victorum is going to arrive, which is a game that I want to play a lot. And then we've got Cloudspire. If it was up to me, I'd be playing Cloudspire once, probably once a month, if I had time. And I just don't have the time. Right. Uh, Genway is asking, will I be coming to any of the cons in the US anytime soon? Uh, slightly, slightly sore, sore topic. Maybe, maybe not. So I used to go to a lot of the US conventions. One year I went to four. Four was, I think, my record. I went to Origins. I went to the World Board Gaming Championship. I went to Gen Con and I went to BGGCon. All of the American conventions that I've been to have been fantastic. Uh, I haven't been to PAX Unplugged, but I loved Origins. Uh, I loved Gen Con. Gen Con, possibly my favorite convention that I've ever been to. It's just amazing. Um, World Board Gaming Championships was unusual, but but I enjoyed it. Um, and BGG Con is fantastic because it's just playing games. Um, so I've, I've loved going to the US conventions. However, for me, um, with my uh, anxiety issues, I don't travel well. So what, what happened is it, it, used, it usually takes me about 22 hours of traveling time to get to an American con because I've got to leave here, get on the coach, Airport number one to Amsterdam, airport number two, Amsterdam to either Atlanta and then Atlanta to somewhere else. And then the journey to the hotel. And then I get to there. It's about 22 hours and I don't sleep during that time. So by the time I get there and I'm an absolute wreck, then the anxiety kicks in and I hardly sleep. So when I go away to an American convention, despite how enjoyable it is when I'm there, it's about eight days of my life where I hardly sleep and I'm put, I've put my body under a lot of physical strain. Um, and as I've got older, uh, I'm not able to cope with that as much as I was able to when I was, you know, a lot younger. So during lockdown, when, when obviously the conventions were off and I stopped going to America, I made the decision that I wasn't going to go to any more of the US conventions because CGE were happy uh, to pay for me to go to these conventions. There's no way that I could go to these conventions on my own back. Um, the, the cost of going to these US conventions... Uh, and when you, when you include the time off work as well, I, I'm not quite sure how UK content creators can afford to go to Gen Con for a week on their own money. It, it, it's massively expensive. But anyway, um, but I made the difficult decision that, that I wasn't going to go to any more of the US conventions. And it's not because I didn't want to, it's because of the physical toll that it was taking on me. However, I'm not going to say never because... Uh, one publisher who I've been doing a lot of work with recently invited me to go to Gen Con next year with them, all paid for. They'd pay for the hotel, they'd pay for the travel, they'd pay for everything. 
uh, and I would have to demo for them at the booth while I was there, which I'd be more than happy to do because I absolutely love demoing and I love meeting people, teaching people how to play games. That's my dream environment. Um, but Gen Con next year is at the same time as our wedding. So unfortunately, I can't go to Gen Con next year. Um, but never say never. If at some point next year, not next year, but maybe the year after, there's a publisher that wants me to go and is happy to pay for me to go uh, and I get to demo games that I enjoy demoing, then I would definitely consider it. I just can't really do the three a year every year. But yeah, if I do, I'll let you know. Right, Marcus. Uh, Marcus says he's kind of new in the community. Do I teach and play older games as well? And if so, when will we see a Learn to Play on Warrior Knights? You're definitely not going to see a Learn to Play on Warrior Knights. Uh, Warrior Knights is one of those games for me which is best left in the past, I'm afraid. Um, but I do do sometimes. I do sometimes cover older games as well. One of the uh, stretch goals of the Patreon campaign was to occasionally do a Cult of the Old, and it's way overdue. I apologise for that. Um, but every few months, I want to get a game which is maybe. 10, 15, 20 years old uh, and do a cult of the old playthrough. Uh, we've done a few on the channel over the last year or two uh, and I do want to do more of them. So yes, I do want to go back to some of the old games because some of these older games are still really good. The last one we did, I think, was maybe Puerto Rico. Absolutely classic, fantastic game. So yeah, I do want to cover some older games uh, and I do want to cover more of them. This is just the, uh, yeah, just the lack of time at the moment and getting on top of things. Uh, next question from Sergio. Do I prefer the look of the dice before or after decisions in games? Right. So, Sergio, I'm a Euro gamer. Um, I want output. Uh, I want input randomness, not output randomness. So, for example, Stefan Feld, I want the dice that are used to be rolled before and then you determine what you're going to do with the dice. I have no problem with that. So dice drafting games or anything like that. But anything which has dice for resolution is not a Euro game for me. And I generally don't like that. Now, there are certain games that I have got with dice for resolution. And there are certain games that I enjoy playing which have dice for resolution. But it is one of my least favorite mechanisms because you put in all of that effort. You've calculated it. You've spent the three wood. You've got the things all in the right place. You've done this. You've done that. You roll the dice and you failed. And it's like, well, you know. Uh, and if that's a if that's a competitive game and it has that level of randomness, I'm not a big fan of that. So I I'm in a cooperative game. I can kind of accept it because at least then it's not affecting any player individually. But certainly in a competitive game, a high level of output randomness is not something that I enjoy playing. Yeah, I'm I'm very much a Euro gamer, so I want my dice um, not dice for resolution. I want my dice beforehand. Uh, ID Jester says, what is the best movie that should be made into a board game, one that isn't currently a board game? Oh, okay. Best movie that hasn't been made into a board game yet. Well, the thing is, so The Matrix is one of my favourite films. The first one, not the other two nonsense, or the, the other three not. I've not seen Matrix 4 yet, but I've heard it's nonsense. Um, the first Matrix film is one of my favourite films of all time. That hasn't been made into a board game, but would it make a good board game? I don't know. I've never even considered whether The Matrix 
would make a good board game. But let's say, let's say that, because Matrix, I love the film, uh, one of my favourite films, and I think all of my other films that I can think of that I enjoy, like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and things like that, they've all been made into board games. Um, but I don't think The Matrix has been turned into a, into a board game. So let's say that, but I don't know whether it would actually work as a board game. Next question from Georgios. What is my best guilty pleasure game? Oh. So what you're saying is, is a game which I shouldn't like, but I actually do. At the moment, it's probably Batman Gotham City Chronicles. And the reason is, for what I've just said in, in answer to Sergio's question, that I don't like games where you're rolling dice to determine whether you succeed or not. And Batman Gotham City Chronicles is very, very much a dice for resolution game. But I'm enjoying it. And the reason I'm enjoying it is because I've learned to appreciate that that's just what the game is. And it's kind of very much outside of my normal wheelhouse. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to throw away all of my Euro games and I'm going to start playing games with dice for combat, but that is the one game at the moment that I'm playing where the dice are far outside of my comfort zone, but I'm still enjoying playing the game. And for those people interested, there will be a solo playthrough of Batman Gotham City Chronicles coming to the channel next week. I'm just, I've been planning that today, but that, that's due for next week. Uh, Ian's in the chat. Hi, Ian. Good to see you. Have I seen that the designer of Rallyman is testing a version for the 24 Hours of Le Mans? Any interest, stroke, thoughts? I haven't seen that. So Rallyman is, is interesting. So I remember playing Rallyman once round here at my house. Somebody brought it round uh, and we played it and I remember enjoying it. And then years and years later... Uh, we played a game with Patreon supporters. This was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, it was probably during lockdown. And we played a game on Tabletop Simulator, and I really didn't enjoy it. And I remember we played with like five or six people, and the downtime was absolutely painfully slow. I think David Digby was off cooking cooking dinner in between his turns. That's how much downtime there was. Um, but I, I didn't really enjoy it at all. So... I was kind of put off from the game after that point because I remember when they redid Rallyman and they, they were doing a new version. I thought, oh, maybe this is the time I can get into it because I remember liking it the first time I played it. And then, as I say, really didn't like it. Um, I know, Ian, you're a big fan of Le Mans, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'll have to have a look at it again and see. Maybe, maybe my experience of playing it on Tabletop Simulator, um, yeah, it wasn't right. Next question from Bobby. What skill does a playtester need then? Uh, or what so you focus on being a playtester. So if if you want to playtest a game, the first thing is you need to be honest, right? You need to be absolutely honest. Uh, and even if the designer of the game is crying his eyes out in front of you because you didn't like his game, you can't let that affect you, right? You have, your, your job as a playtester is, is twofold. First of all, um, the first thing you're doing is you're testing to see whether the game actually works and is fun and is enjoyable and isn't too fiddly but you're also trying to test the game to make sure the balance is okay and they're two separate skill sets my skill set <clears throat> is in the first of those i'm not a very good person at analyzing it and going well that card's clearly broken if i buy that card on turn one i'm going to win the game i'm not very or or come up with some completely broken strategy about milling my entire deck so it's only got four cards. I, I can't think of that. I'm more about, did the game play smoothly? 
Were the rules easy to remember? Um, and, and all sorts of things like that. But yeah, you need to be honest, not, um, not nasty, but you need to be, you need to be honest. You need to get your point across. Uh, and when you're playtesting a game, you need to not just think about whether you enjoyed the game, but you need to be thinking, wait a minute, at the end of phase three, everybody needs to move their marker one step to the right on that track. We're all forgetting that. Okay. So if there is a particular thing that's supposed to happen in the game and everybody is constantly forgetting to do it, that's a problem with the game. And there needs to be some fix for that. You either remove that rule from there or you do it in a different way or, or any sorts of things like that. Um, but yeah, there is there is a skill at being a playtester. I'm benefited by the fact that I've worked in the industry as a game developer for many years. So when I'm playtesting, I know what kind of thing that I'm I'm looking for and I just use all of that game development knowledge and the experience that I've got. And I I, I also have my own um list of things which which are fiddly in a game. And sometimes if a game is too fiddly, it doesn't matter how good or how clever the game is, if you're constantly having people going, wait a minute, I'm putting these cards where? Oh, I've got three different discard piles. And, and which one does this go in? Well, this goes on that one. It's never going to work, okay? Because if the game is fiddly, not complicated, but but physically fiddly or mechanically fiddly, the designer is not going to be sat there in front of everybody who ever plays the game to remind them of, of what rules they need to use. Jenway uh, is asking, what are some of my gaming table pet peeves? So I've got, I've got a few of them. Um, but the thing is, I've got my own things that I do, which other people don't like. Um, because I'm constantly trying to help people out and I'm constantly teaching games. So for example, if I spot a really good move that somebody can make in the game and, and, and I've just taught them how to play the game, then I feel that my job as the teacher is to say, oh, have you seen this amazing move here? If you move there and move there, you'd get six money and that six money would allow you to go to the market and buy 15 points. That's a really good move. I'm not telling you to do it. I just want to make sure that you know if you do that, that and that, you'll get six points or you'll get a whole bucket load of points. And some people don't like that. Some people don't like the fact that I'm helping other players and trying to advise them. Now, I'm not doing it for any benefit of my own. I'm doing it because I'm constantly trying to help them, teach them and learn them how to play the game. Uh, and some people don't like that. Um, but one of the pet peeves that I don't like, and this really, really makes me so uncomfortable that... I don't generally play games with these people, but when they start uh, lying in a game to the other players in order to manipulate them to do things to against the other players. Now, if you're playing games like Diplomacy, Game of Thrones, or any any game with hidden roles or player interaction or anything like that, then that's what the game's about. But I don't play those kind of games. I'm talking a normal style Euro game where one of the players is saying... Oh, don't, don't, no, ignore me. I'm not doing very well. You know, I'm, 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 I'm not getting any points. You want to, you want to take, you want to steal his wood. Don't steal my wood. I'm, I'm not doing anything. Um, you know, he's about to do this, this, and this. And it's complete lies, right? They are deliberately trying to throw you off the scent. And some of these people feel that that's a part of the game. And I think that is not a part of the game. That is a part of games with negotiation and diplomacy, but it isn't part of a standard game. And I don't mind if then, if they're telling the truth, if they're literally saying, look, I'm on two points 
and I can't afford to feed my people, don't bother attacking me. If that's true, that's fine. But if it's not true, I don't like that kind of negotiation at the games table. Uh, Dustin, we love Spirit Island, he says, but we want to get into more thematic Euros. Any suggestions for thematic Euros that are great at two players? Oh, this this is a question, I'm afraid, Dustin, which is going to have to go open to the table because otherwise uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at thinking on the spot. Come here, Thor. Come here, you. Hello, you. Now, what's going on? Why is he purring away? So if anybody knows in the chat, let me know, but we, we can post this. Or, Dustin, if you want to head over to the guild, do you want to just post a link to the guild again? Dustin, head on over to the BGG guild, and if you want to ask that question yourself on the thread, uh, and you'll get other people commenting. So, so Dustin's question is that he loves Spirit Island. He wants to get into more thematic Euros. Any suggestions for good thematic Euros that are good at two players? So yeah, Dustin, head on over to the guild. Um, obviously, join the guild, subscribe to the guild, and then just post a new thread in the general thing um, and just post that on there and you'll get messages from people and I'll post a link to that on my Slack channel and you'll get lots of ideas from other people. I'm trying to think thematic Euros that are good at two players. Um, I mean, would you say Lost Ruins of Arnak is a thematic Euro? I'm not sure. I mean, I love Lost Ruins of Arnak. Um, and there is definitely a theme to Lost Ruins of Arnak, but ultimately, Lost Ruins of Arnak is about resources, gaining resources, playing cards, and everything else. Uh, I'm not sure how thematic the actual mechanisms of the game are. Um, so yeah, pop the question on over to the guild, and everybody head on over there to get some answers. Uh, Zod is asking, what irks me more, a sore loser or a gloating winner? Ah, that's a good question. I don't know about the same. Do you think? What do you think? I mean, I've had experience of, of both with the same person. <laughs> the same person has been a gloating winner and a sore loser. Um, but I'm curious to see what other people think. What, do, do other people, do they know somebody who is a sore loser but is, is, all, but is not a gloating winner? Because for me, those two things seem to go hand in hand. Um... <sighs> I'm not sure. Bo both are as bad as one another. There you go. I'm going to get out of this question by... I, they're, they're both bad. They are both bad. Um, Hilmar, have I gone through the Spiel 22 preview page? I haven't. One of the things on my list of things to do if I get time is to do a live stream where I go through the Essen Spiel preview list. I'm hoping to do it at some point before Essen. Um... But yeah, I haven't I haven't got around to doing it yet. Right, let's have a quick refresh on the contest. So if you're watching this video between now and the end of September, well, not quite the end of September, but the last Wednesday in September, you can enter the contest. Uh, the secret word is Gladius. Uh, the link to the contest has appeared in the chat and the link is going to be in the description of the video as well. And I've forgotten to record this locally. I knew I'd forgotten something um, <laughs> to do the podcast. Um... But yeah, the secret word is Gladius. So good luck at entering the contest. And just as a reminder, uh, the contest is thanks to the patron supporters. So if you're entering the contest and you're not a patron supporter of mine, you are, of course, welcome to enter the contest. But this video and the time it's taken me this afternoon to prepare for all of this 
uh, and the money for the contest is all made possible thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. Um, yeah, so £25 worth of the £50 comes from Games Law. Thank you very much, Games Law, for your support. And £25 of the voucher comes from me. And the contest is to win £50 worth of vouchers from Games Law. Right, okay. So, Monica's question from before is... When a new month comes, have I already decided which game will be the first game that I play in the new month? Just for myself or with friends or filming it for YouTube. Um, so I'm not really a month-by-month -month person. I'm a week-by-week -week person. So I normally do my planning on the Sunday. Uh, and on the Sunday afternoon each week, I will sit down and I will work out what my plans are for the week. Now, I have an idea of what I'm doing for the month, but I only do the specific planning really on the Sunday, Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. And then I create the uh, the weekly plans either on the Sunday or the Monday, and then I post about it ahead of time. So yeah, it's more on a week by week basis uh, rather than a, rather than a month by month basis. Um, if, if that helps, as I say, if I'm still not understanding the question, just ask me later on on Slack and I'll, and I'll try and answer it for you. Um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, uh, uh, Mark's just made a good comment, uh, with related to the Eschen Spiel list, whether it could be a Patreon only stream. It could, but I know a lot of other content creators do their Essen preview lists and they tend to be quite popular. So I would probably make it a public one, um, if, if I was going to do that. Um, right. Next one, Dre Riberio. Have I felt fatigue from playing the new hotness all the time? So yes and no. I'm, I'm not one of those content creators who is constantly, constantly playing the new hotness and then moving on to the next one. Okay. I do a little bit of it because I'm excited about these new games. Um, and I am going to be covering on the channel in the next few weeks, uh, Tiletum, which is new hotness because it's a new game that's coming out at Essen. Uh, and I'm going to be covering, um, Undaunted Stalingrad, which I'm very excited about. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I know some other channels that every single week is three or four new videos of the new hotness and then it's gone. And then the week after they move on to the next one. And I'm not faulting them for that. A lot of these other content creators are friends of mine and I, I support them on Patreon, but there's so many games coming out all of the time. It is very, very difficult to keep up with it. So yes, although I don't chase the new hotness as much as I could, there is the fatigue and I've, I've been feeling that in the last year uh, and I've hinted at it a couple of times in this video, just feeling overwhelmed by the sheer amount of new games coming in that I don't have time to cover and the games over the last few years that I love that I don't have, you know, the Maracaibo expansion brought in a whole new campaign, which I wanted to cover. I haven't done that because it's going to be probably 24 hours of videos. It's probably going to be 12 individual videos, each of which is going to be two hours long, plus an hour for me to set the studio, plus 30 minutes for me to tidy the studio afterwards. Every one of those playthrough videos I do is about three and a half to four hours work. And the campaign is probably about 12 videos. Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. Absolutely love the game. I've got six campaigns for it. I've played one. How, you know, am I going to be able to stream that? Um, Cloudspire. I want to go back to Cloudspire. Arkham Horror LCG. I want to go back to Arkham Horror LCG. So I'm feeling the fatigue, not just from the, the new games to cover, but also from the fact that, well, it's not really fatigue. It's more disappointment in myself that I haven't had time to cover a lot of the older games that I want to cover. 
Navaneeth is saying, have I played Unsettled? I haven't played Unsettled, but almost everybody that has told me about it has said that it's a brilliant game and I would love it. Now, I have covered some games from Orange Nebula before. Um, they sent me a copy of Vindication and I've covered that on the channel a few times. I was hoping that I was on Orange Nebula's list to receive a review copy of the game, but unfortunately I'm not. Uh, I could reach out to them if I wanted to, um, but again, I'm not comfortable at the moment reaching out to a publisher to ask for a copy of a game, which I then don't have time to cover on the channel, but Unsettled apparently is very, very good. Um, right, next question from Geek Cube. How do I think inflation around the world will affect board games? With Kickstarters coming to mind and possible power cuts this winter? Yeah, it is a, it is a bit of a depressing question, but it is a very good question because we're seeing the price of board games go through the roof for two main reasons. Well, three main reasons. The first one is the cost of living is going up almost everywhere. Therefore, publishers uh, need to charge more money to make more money themselves. We also have the cost of components going up, the cost of paper, the cost of wood, the cost of all of that stuff has just gone up and up and up. And of course, shipping. So the cost of games right now is ridiculous, right? I'm I consider myself lucky and fortunate to be in the position where games are coming out and if I want to cover them on the channel, I can ask the publisher to send me a copy of the game and generally speaking, the ones that I ask are more than happy to send me a copy of the game and I'll cover it on the channel. Speaking about hot new games, Sabika from Ludanova by the designer of Bitoku. I have a copy of it. It's arrived there. I'm doing an unboxing video of it. I'm very excited about it and hopefully it's a hot game. Um, but having to buy these games at the moment, games are just crazy high. And then we have the whole other topic for discussion, which is the games with, which are overproduced. Games with miniatures that aren't needed, deluxe components that aren't needed, games that are twice the price they should be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those things. So yeah, how do I think it will affect board games? I, I think Generally speaking, people are going to less board or fewer board games are going to sell. So let's say if you're a publisher and you've got a game and you would normally publish that game at $50, okay? You might sell 5,000 copies of that game at $50 due to cost of living, production costs, energy costs, and shipping costs. You're now going to have to charge $70 for that game, okay? So at $50, you would have sold 5,000 copies of the game. At $70, how many copies are you going to sell? Are you still going to sell 5,000? Logic says that you're not. Logic tells me that there are a group of people who would have bought your game at $50, but aren't going to buy it at $70. Therefore, you're going to sell fewer games. And the problem is they know they're going to sell fewer games which means they have to put it at $75 in order to cover the cost, because the more games you make, the cheaper it is per production. So yeah, I think it is going to have a knock-on effect on board games, but I think it's already having a knock-on effect on board games. I mean, we've seen the price of some Kickstarters, and we've seen the price of some games that are on the Essen Spiel preview release, and people are already coming to me to saying, wow, Paul, this game looks really good, but have you seen the price of it? It's like 85 euros or something crazy. So yeah, 
I, I think it is having an effect on the board game industry. And as I say, I'm in the fortunate position because my job is I'm a content creator. Um, but if you're one of these people who has a limited budget and there are these games you would have bought that you're now not going to buy. I mean, to be honest, if you would have bought 10 new games at Essen and because of the price increase, you're now only going to buy seven. I don't see that as a problem because we don't have enough time to play all of the games that we're going to get anyway. So just buy the best seven and leave the other three. I don't know. Next question is from Stacy. Stacy recently played a game where she was able to steal the win in the last turn of the game. Congratulations. It was a very big take that moment. And after winning, you felt terrible. Do I have this experience or is winning the name of the game for me? Um, I have got that experience. So I'm in two minds about it. First of all, the objective of a game, generally speaking, if it's a competitive game, is to win the game. That That is why you're all sat around the table. That doesn't mean you have to be nasty about it, but the objective of the game is to win the game. So let's say, for example, we're playing a game together. You're on 93 points. I'm on 92 points. It's the last action of the game. And I play a card that says target player loses two victory points. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play that card on you. You lose two victory points and I win the game. Now, generally speaking, I don't play games where there is a card that says target player loses two victory points. But let's say, for example, it said the player with the most victory points loses two victory points. I would play a game. I would play a card like that because it's targeting the person who's winning. It's not targeting somebody who you're choosing. Um, that's part of the game. So I'd feel a little guilty, but ultimately the player who I did that to should realize that I'm trying to win the game just as well as they're trying to win the game. Um, so yeah, it's not that winning the game is everything. Okay. But I play generally with people who are trying to win the game, but we don't do it by... We do it within the, within the confines of the game rules. And if the game rules allow us to do those things, then we certainly should be doing those things. That's my opinion anyway. Uh, Jim says, what do I think of the Disney CCG they just announced with the intent to battle magic? I, I don't think anything about it. I saw an advert for it. Not an advert, but I saw it on the BGG front page this morning. New Disney CCG coming soon. That's all I know about it. I've personally got no interest in it whatsoever. Um, so, you know, I saw it and I was like, oh, Disney are doing a collectible card game. But that's it. I, I've no personal interest in it whatsoever. Um, if it's gonna, if it's gonna rival magic, then good luck with that. But they have a different audience. They, you know, they have a Disney audience, presumably. Now it is coming close to seven o'clock. We're going to go for dinner at seven o'clock. So no more questions, please. If you've got another question or last chance for new questions, if you've got any other questions, put them into the chat now because we're going to be wrapping up soon. But if you can wait till next month's Q&A, please do. So we're going to wrap up the last questions here. Uh, right. Question from uh, Kit is, any suggestions of where are good places to pick up secondhand stroke used games? Facebook groups. Uh, generally speaking, Facebook groups or conventions that have bring and buys. That's the only place that I can think of. But if anybody's watching this or if anybody's got any other suggestions of 
best places to pick up secondhand games, let me know. I know that Board Game Geek have a marketplace, but it's closing down soon or it's relaunching or something like that. I don't know. But I I don't generally do uh, secondhand games. I don't do bring and buys. Any games which I'm getting rid of normally just go to charity. Um, yeah. Next question from Mark. Can I explain for the newcomers at Gridcon what the bring and buy and the charity raffle usually entail? I'll tell you more about that on the Slack channel, uh, Mark, because it's probably too much of a, a specific question for the Q&A. But Gridcon, for those people who don't know, is the convention that me and Vicky organise. It's happening in November. There will be a charity raffle and there will be a bring and buy. Uh, but essentially, a bring and buy is where you bring games, you put a price on them, and other people might buy them. The charity raffle is where you buy raffle tickets and you are going to win games, which is a combination of new games that publishers have given me to give away and some old games that I want to get rid of, some of which are still in shrink, some of which are my old copies of games that I no longer want that I'm giving away. So that's that's basically it. Uh, ID Jester says, what's my opinion of app-driven games? Will this trend continue? I have no problem with app-driven games whatsoever. And I think uh, Journeys in Middle-Earth and Imperial Assault and, and games like that, that that integrate an app, I have no problem with them. They're really good and they work really well. Of course, in 10 years' time, if the, develop if the developer stops maintaining the app, then we have a problem. Uh, and there is also the issue, like I had with the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth campaign, where something went wrong with the app and then the game's kind of broken a little bit. That's unfortunate. But yeah, I have no problems with games with apps, especially when it uh, enhances the experience um, because the app can do so much admin for you that it actually smooths out the gameplay. And the final question, I think, is, yeah, the final question is from Scott. What was the best Friedman Friesa game you've played? Ooh. I've played a lot of his games. Uh, I'm not sure what the best one would be. I mean, I've played Power Grid more than any of the others, but I've kind of gone off Power Grid. It's a bit boring for me. Um, and it requires a bit too much maths. So the best Friedman Friesa game that I've played. I'm not sure. There are some of his that I've played which I thought were truly awful. And there are other ones I've played which I thought were really good. One thing about him is he's, he's absolute genius. He's very, very clever. He does things different. And he's able to think about things in a different way. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm not sure about that, Scott. Right. Let's give the uh, let's give the answer to the, the the secret word for the contest is Gladius, and I'm just going to do the crazy thing of looking up all of Friedman Friesa's games on Board Game Geek because he has done a lot. I mean, I, I'm tempted to say Fayum, but I've only played Fayum once, <laughs> and I've been meaning to go back to it for the last eighteen months, uh, and I've not done that yet. So let's just have a quick look at Friedman Friesa's games. He's done a lot. Yeah, he's done a lot of games. Um, yeah. 116 games he's done. Right, let's just go through these 116 games. Uh, and I'm just going to go through. So I've not played Copycat, but I heard that was quite good. Fabled Fruit was nice. Uh, probably not my favourite. Fayum, as I say. Fayum, I really want to play more because I really did enjoy Fayum. Um, and I need to play it more. I've also played some of the fast forward games. They were quite nice. Fast Sloths was all right, but I found it a little fiddly, but clever in the way that that worked. Um, Fearsome Flaws I've not played. Fear of Bend was okay. 
Um, Fiji, I've not played Fiji. Uh, Findorf is coming out this year. Fine Sand, I've not played Fine Sand. Uh, five Cucumbers I absolutely hated. I did not enjoy Five Cucumbers. Oh, Free Ride is very good. Free Ride is his train game from last year, 2021. Um, yeah, Free Ride was very good. I really enjoyed that one. Is that going to be my favourite one? Gosh, I'm not sure. Um, Power Grid Factory Manager was okay. Full Throttle I never got a chance to playing. Uh, Futuropia I enjoyed. A lot of people didn't enjoy Futuropia, but I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, lots and lots of different power grids. More power grids. There's a whole page there of power grids. Let's move on from power grids. Um, 504 was a work of genius. And there is parts of 504 that I enjoyed. But overall, it was a little bit odd. Uh, Terra I've not played. Unexpected Treasures I've not played. There's a lot of these games I've not heard of. So I'm going to say, potentially Fayum, uh, But I need to play it more. Um... And Free Ride from last year. Free Ride was a really solid game and really, really good. Um, am I going to show my Gladius when it comes? Yes, I'll definitely, I'll definitely show the Gladius when it when it arrives. Um, anyway, we're all done. It's seven o'clock. It's time for dinner. We're having something quite interesting tonight, which I've never had before. It's not cooked. Oh, it's not cooked. We're not going for food at seven o'clock. Um, but yeah, we'll wrap things up for tonight. A big thank you to everybody who's kept me company uh, today. Thank you. And the big thank you to all of my patron supporters. As I mentioned earlier on, preparing for these videos and doing these videos does take a lot of time. And that's time away from uh, paid work. And that's only possible thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. So yeah, huge thank you to all of my patron supporters for your support and your continued support because I know times are, times are difficult. I'll be back with some more live streams. Friday, I will be doing a live stream in the evening, which is going to be New York City. So keep an eye out for that if you're interested in learning how to play New York City, which is the third game uh, in the Steffenfeld City collection. And Saturday, I haven't announced this yet, but there's going to be a Patreon-only live stream day all day Saturday. Some friends are coming over. We're going to be playing three games during the day, and they will all be live streamed, but it will be Patreon supporters only. We're going to be playing Marrakesh in the morning, we're going to be playing Deal with the Devil in the afternoon, and we're going to be playing Tiletum uh, later on in the afternoon, possibly in the evening. Uh, why are they going to be Patreon only and not public, I hear you ask? It's not because I'm putting up a paywall, it's because I am learning how to play those three games. So they're not really, and, and I'm going to be doing videos on those three games later on, which are going to be proper videos. So this is more a behind the scenes look at Paul having a games day with some friends. Um, but that's happening on Saturday. So if you're a patron supporter, you will have access to those videos on Saturday. Uh, even if you can't watch them live, you'll have access to them later. But as I say, all of those games I am going to be covering on the channel properly. Saturday is just more of a, a warm up. But I like doing this extra content for patron supporters because without your support, there is no channel. And I can't do this without you. So thank you very much for that. Right, we're all done. I'm going to disappear now. I will speak to some of you later on on the Slack channel. And I'll see some of you on Friday for some uh, for some more playthroughs. Take care, everybody. Thanks very much. See you soon. Bye-bye.